Hi everyone, this is Peter Brower and you are listening to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. It's the beginning of a new series called Speaking Scripture, as we'll be learning some biblical vocabulary together. You might know that the Bible is full of words that we simply don't hear anywhere else, and it's important that we take a look at those. Or or sometimes the Bible uses words that that we use in our day-to-day life, but it means something totally different than we're used to. And so we're going to examine these words. We're going to dig deep into the Bible to listen to what it has to say, to learn its own vocabulary so that we might see the heart of God, gain a clearer picture of our Savior Jesus, and grow in faith and love. So join us as we begin this first lesson, Speaking Scripture, as we take a look at God's grace. Hi everyone, my name is Peter Brower, and I'm a pastor, considering myself to be a theologian, but above all else, I am someone who just loves the Bible, loves digging in, loves studying, and loves sharing. And so, thank you for letting me share with you. I'm so excited to begin this new series with you called Speaking Scripture, as we take a look at some really important words, at some of the vocabulary of the Bible. As you might know, the Bible has a somewhat unique vocabulary of its own. There are words that we hear in the Bible and that we use in our Christian walks that we really don't hear or use in other places. And you can probably think of some examples of that. And then there are words that we find in the Bible that we also find in our everyday lives. But we have to wonder, does, does the Bible always mean what we mean in our everyday walks and everyday lives? Or, or is there something different about how the Bible uses certain words? And, and sometimes there is. And so what we're going to do over the, the course of, of these next lessons is, is to take a look at some of the important words, the vocabulary of the Bible, and to see what God has to say about these words. Sometimes we've heard them so many times, at least those of us who have grown up in the church, we might not even know what they mean. We just kind of take it for granted. We, we throw it around without having actually thought about what it means. Or, or other times, maybe we have no idea, and, and we hear it, and maybe we even say it, but we, we're feeling kind of lost about it. Or, or again, maybe there's some disconnect from how we've been using the word secularly in our regular lives from, from what God means by it. So we're going to dive into the Bible to take a look at these words, to, to have a vocabulary lesson, and, and to hear what God says. And it's my hope that as we look at these words, words like grace, words like the gospel, words like faith, words like salvation, that we will grow in our faith. And our understanding of who God is will gain a a clearer picture of his heart and will grow in faith in him too. My hope is that through studying these words, we we will see that God is so trustworthy and that we can put our lives into his hands. So thank you for joining me on this journey. And and today we're beginning, I think, with with one of the most foundational words, grace. You, You probably know, at least in passing, the importance of a word like grace, right? Grace it, it, it was caused in an event like the Reformation, that, that we had different understandings of, of God's grace and the role it played in the Christian life and what that w- word meant, and, and it caused this great split in the church. So, so this is a big word that's had some serious implications. And, and then, of course, some of us, we, we say things like we are saved by grace, not by works. What does that mean to be saved by grace? If, if we're 
putting our, our faith in, in God's grace, what is that grace? If we think it's how we're saved, well, what does that mean? So, so I am so glad that we're jumping into this word today. We're going to take a look at the Old Testament, the New Testament, and, and we're going to see what God has to say about this most important of words. So thank you for joining me as we begin our series and as we jump in to speaking scripture, God's grace. All right, what I would like to do first before we jump into what the Bible has to say is, is I'd like to, to talk a little bit about how this w- word was used in the ancient world amongst the Greeks and the Romans, kind of setting the, the stage for Jesus to come. I want to look at how this word was used in, in Jesus' own time in the world or around the Bible. And uh, we, we know actually a pretty good amount just from reading history and ancient authors. Uh, one in particular has left us kind of a treasure trove on how, how to understand this word grace. And, and that author is Seneca. Seneca was a, a Roman Stoic philosopher and speaker. And, and he actually wrote a, a short little booklet, a little tract on, on grace, on, on gift giving in the ancient world. Because in in one sense, in the broadest sense, that's kind of what grace is. It's giving a gift. Or another way of saying that might be to show favor to someone. And and so Seneca teaches us about how the ancient world, the the Greeks and the Romans, thought about showing favor and giving gifts, uh, showing grace. And so he writes this whole little tract, this whole little book on, on how to do it. And, and what it shows us is that there were some important things to keep in mind, at least for some people like Seneca, that there were certain rules to follow as you gave gifts away and as you show, showed favor. And, and there were some really important things to keep in mind. Uh, four things, actually, that are kind of crucial to understand gift giving in the ancient world. That's what I'd like to talk about now, the, the four kind of crucial aspects of showing favor giving grace or or giving gifts in the Greco-Roman world. And I I hope that this will give us some context to understand what the Bible says when it talks about grace. I think we're going to see some similarities, but also some some important differences too that will just highlight God's grace even more beautifully. So the four things that we need to understand to understand grace in the ancient world. The first is that grace always moved in a certain direction. It flowed from the person in power— to the person in need, from the person who had lots, the person who was rich, the benefactor, uh, the leader of the city or of the government, down to, to the person who was poor, who, who needed. So you, you never saw someone who was poor showing favor to the person in power. No, 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 it was the other way around. They were looking for favor from the person in power. And so, again, there was a certain direction to, to giving grace or showing favor, giving gifts. And it was from the high to the low, to the, to the rich, to the poor, to the, the powerful, to the weak. That's the first thing we need to understand. That's always how it worked. The second thing we need to understand is that gifts in the ancient world were given judiciously, carefully, intentionally, discriminately. Uh, that is that you, 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 you thought really hard about who you were going to give grace to. You didn't just throw it around willy-nilly right? This was an intentional act because you wanted to make sure that the person you were giving the gift to was worth it, <laughs> right? You, you didn't want it to go to waste, right? You only have so much, so much to give. And, and you want to make sure that the person doesn't take it for granted, doesn't throw it away. And so gift giving had to be intentional. And, and that's what Seneca spends a lot of time writing around, right? Who is the worthy recipient of your favor or of your grace? Now, 
Now, when we hear this, we might think to ourselves, well, that doesn't sound much like a gift at all, right? If the person deserves it, well, it's not a gift, that's a, a wage. Uh, now, we might think of it in those ways, but I, I think I'll, I'll show in a second that we actually act very similarly. And I do want to make sure to say that the, the ancient people, the Greco-Romans, they made a clear distinction between labor and wages and gift giving. So they did not consider them to be the same thing. And, and gift giving, though, did. You did still have to make sure that the other person was, was worth it. And, and again, I think we, we do think in, in much the same way, right? Think about, think about when Christmas rolls around. And you maybe look at your bank account, your credit card statement, how much you're going to get in a bonus. And you might sit down to like plan who you're going to be able to buy gifts for this year. Because you can't give them to everyone, right? You wish you could, but you can't. You only have so much to give. And so you give to the people or the causes, the charities that are important to you. Same could be said of a will, right? When you're writing down to, 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 to leave your will, you don't give uh, money to everyone. None of us has that much. And so you sit down to carefully plan who are the charities, the, the churches, the people that you would like to share your, your, your money with and your gifts with. That, that is much the same way of how the ancient people thought. We could think of the same thing in a work context. If you have a coworker who has just done a wonderful job this, this year, maybe gone really above and beyond, um, maybe really made your life easier, when Christmas rolls around, you might give them a gift. Now, that's not a wage that they earned. Right? But you looked at them, and, and in some sense, they were worthy of this gift. You saw all their hard work, so you gave it to them. This is how, in, in some similar ways, the ancient people thought of gift-giving. Again, the main point is, it was very careful, intentional, judicious. Uh, it was not just thrown around indiscriminately. Right? We need to understand that. Uh, the next thing to remember uh, or to know about ancient gift-giving is that it was always meant to be reciprocal. So if I gave you a gift, you were meant to respond. You might return the favor in some sort of gift. You, you, might, uh, you might show your thanks just with words or honor, right? But in some way, you would respond to the gift. Uh, there was always, it was always a two-way street right? There were always strings attached, I guess you could say, in gift giving. Now, you might say again, well, if there's strings attached, that's not really a gift. Uh, but that's not how they thought. And I think sometimes we think in the same way, even if we don't realize it, right? When someone does something nice for us, they, they help us move or they watch our kids for the afternoon, right? We say things like, I owe you one, because there's this kind of just understanding that you do something for me, I'll do something for me. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours, and so we do think this way, the same way, that the gifts are reciprocal. They're meant to be responded to. The last point, then, the fourth point, is, is kind of tied to that one. It's just as important, though, that the gifts, gift-giving, showing favor, giving grace, pouring out grace, it always either created or sustained a relationship, right? And the giving of gifts always took place within a relationship. There weren't just kind of like gifts floating around. You didn't just give them to, to strangers, but it always happened within the context of a relationship. Either relationship was begun by the giving of a gift and now would continue as the people responded and reciprocated, or the, the giving of a gift sustained a relationship and would continue to sustain it as, as that was responded to and reciprocated. And so gift giving and showing favor was always in the context of a relationship. 
So those, those are the, some of the four things we need to understand about, about grace in the ancient world. It always flowed in one direction, from the person of power down to the weak. It was all, they were always given discriminately, judiciously, carefully. You didn't want to waste a gift on someone who was unworthy. The gifts were given in a reciprocal nature. You were meant to respond. And in that way, to our fourth point, they created and sustained relationships. What I'd like to do now is to jump into the Old Testament to see how God uses that word grace and to see how he gives grace and to see if there's any similarities or any differences between how the ancient secular world thought about gifts and grace and favor and how God does. So let's, let's jump right in. The first, we can talk about the, the similarities between uh, the Old Testament use of, of a word like grace and the secular use of it. Uh, the, the Old Testament word, the Hebrew word is chen. Chen is the, the Hebrew word for grace. And there are some similarities to what we just talked about. First, there is a direction to it from the person of power down to the weak, right? Most clearly seen in God, right? He's got all the power, all the riches, all of the influence, and it's we, his humble creatures, who are looking to him for favor, not the other way around, right? God isn't looking for us to favor him or to give him gifts that he doesn't already have, right? No, they flow down in one direction. And uh, that is just revealed throughout, throughout the Bible. Um, these are, are gifts from God. Uh, the other thing that we see in the Old Testament is is the reciprocity. Um, no, I'm sorry. Is the is how they are given judiciously, carefully, intentionally. Now, what we can say is that when God shows grace or shows favor on someone, he he doesn't do it willy nilly, and yet the way he gives grace or to whom he gives grace is is unique. And here's where we begin to see the unique character and the unique heart of God. See, there are a few cases in the Bible where God gives grace to, to people who are presented as worthy people. Uh, think of the example of Noah, right? Noah is presented as a righteous, blameless man. I mean, this is how it's put in Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. It says, but Noah found favor, and the word there is chen, grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. So Noah receives grace, and it seems like he's, he's a worthy recipient, right? He's someone who, if you could ever deserve it, it was him. He wasn't going to waste it. He wasn't going to take it for granted. All of, all of those things that the ancient world and Seneca would have thought of so valuable, Noah fits the bill. And, and yet, throughout the pages of the scripture, what we begin to see is, is that God doesn't just give to those people who are worthy, who are righteous, right? He gives to all sorts of people. All right, a good, good example of this would be the story of Jacob. I have a quote in there a little bit later on about Jacob. But, but Jacob, if you remember much about his story, he's kind of this conniving, sneaky guy, right? He was always working behind the scenes, using trickery to deceive people in order to, to get what he, he wants. And yet Jacob is shown grace by God. Now listen to the story. This is a, a, a brief little section out of, out of the story when, when Jacob meets Esau. After Jacob has deceived and kind of tricked Esau twice into getting uh, their father's favor and his blessing, they meet again after a number of years. And Jacob's worried about meeting Esau. Like, what is Esau going to do? And, and this is what we hear in Genesis 33, verse 5. It says, when they meet, when Esau lifted up his eyes and saw that the women and children, saw Jacob's women and children, he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. 
So Jacob recognizes that he has received God's grace. And he's not really presented as the kind of guy who deserves it or who has earned it. And yet he's a recipient of it. Now we're beginning to see the uniqueness to God's grace. He doesn't just hold it back for special people, for for people who won't take it for granted, for people who will respond appropriately. He gives his grace to the kind of conniving, sneaky, tricky people like Jacob. And as we'll begin to see, as, as the story goes on, we'll see just how abundant he is in his grace and that he has grace reserved for all sorts of people even the worst kinds of people. Uh, When it comes to the reciprocal nature of of grace, which is the third point as we looked at the ancient world, we see some of this within the Old Testament too, that those who receive grace were meant to respond to that grace. So you'll see this throughout the Psalms, right? As the psalmist, whether it's David or others, they, they recognize and praise God for some gift that they have been given. And the gift that they have been given results in that praise or that thing, so that song that they sing, right? They give him honor and they sing his praises. We see it in, in a story like Noah, right? We talked about Noah. Uh, Noah receives God's favor. He receives that grace. And what does he do? Well, he builds the ark like God tells him to, right? So he responds to that, to that grace. You, you see the story after story, God's people responding to the grace they've been given. And, and then that brings us to the, the for, fourth point, uh, that grace creates and sustains relationships. And that is so true throughout the Old Testament, that God gives grace because he wants to enter into a relationship with his people, right? He wants that. That shows us so much about God. He's not some cold, distant, uncaring God, but he's a God who wants to be deeply connected and remain connected to his people. The last thing we learn about grace is is that it's who God is, right? The Old Testament tells us that if we want to understand grace, if we want a picture of grace, all we need to do is look at God because he is grace embodied, right? Listen to these words that speak to God's character from Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. This is the story where, where God goes before Moses. And it says, The Lord passed before him, before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generations. Now there's a lot there. (laughs) There's a lot there about who God is. But one of the the characteristics that is inherent to God's very being is that he is a God of grace, that that he is a God who, who looks upon the poor and the weak and needy with favor, a God who gives gifts to those in need, And as we see, he gives them, not just to those who are worthy, but but even to sinners. That's the kind of God you have. He describes himself as a gracious God. So that's just some of how God um, reveals his grace in the Old Testament. Encourage you to go through your notes that are posted, the study guide. You'll see a little bit more. You'll see lots of examples of how grace is used in the Bible. I hope that gives us a great starting place, though. It moves from God to us. It's given even to those who don't deserve it. And, and those who don't deserve it, we were meant to respond because we have been brought into a relationship with our creator, our gracious God. 
Next, let's talk about how that word grace is used in the New Testament. Now, as, as we move on to the New Testament, I think what we'll see is, is much of the same. You know, the, the New Testament never presents a, a picture of some brand new God, as if there was some Old Testament God. This is, might be sometimes how it's portrayed, like an angry God, a judging God, a law-filled God. And then the New Testament, all of a sudden there's this new God who's, who's defined by grace. No, no, God was always defined by grace. And he was always meant to be understood in terms of grace. And, and his grace is everywhere within the Old Testament. And so when we get to the New Testament and we meet Jesus, we're, we're not seeing something that we haven't seen before. But we are learning some new things. God is pulling back the curtain a little bit more so we can get an even clearer picture of his grace for us. And, and so within, uh, within the, the New Testament, we'll, we'll see again that, that there's this direction. It's flowing from God down to, down to his people. We'll, we'll see in, in the New Testament that, that his grace is totally unconditional, right? God doesn't pick and choose the worthy people, those who have deserved it, those who have earned it. No, no, God's grace is a, a totally free gift, even for the, the worst of sinners. Uh, so, so listen to just some of these passages. I just wanted to share a few with you because I think they're so crucial. This is one from Galatians chapter 115. This is what the Apostle Paul, and, and remember who Paul is, right? One who had persecuted the church. One who had been there, at the very least, when Christians were stoned to death, like Stephen. And listen to what Paul says. He says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace. Paul says that God called him before he was born. Knowing that Paul would do all these terrible things, that he would persecute Christians, right? And, and be there at their stonings. And yet God called him in his grace. Wow. How powerful is that? If anyone didn't deserve it or hadn't earned it or wasn't worthy, it was a man like Paul, and yet he is a recipient of it. Uh, here's another one, Romans chapter 5, verse 20. It says, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So even as sin is increasing, grace continues to be poured out even more and more and, and more. Our sin and our unworthiness doesn't get in the way of God's grace. It's not a boundary that stops him from giving it. But, but God overcomes that boundary and he continues to pour out grace to those who are not worth it. Uh, here's one last one from 1 Corinthians 15 verses 9 through 10. Paul writes, For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Again, Paul, the chief of sinners, as he calls himself, is a recipient of God's grace. This is the, the, the fact that God's grace is unconditional, is probably the hallmark, the, the defining difference in God's grace to, to how it's used in our daily lives, how it's used in the Greco-Roman world. This is what makes God's grace and what made it seem so crazy to so many people, that God would show favor and pour out gifts to people who didn't deserve it, who would take it for granted. That's the kind of God we have, though. A God who loves to pour out grace upon grace upon grace. Uh, God's grace in the New Testament, as we've seen, though, is also reciprocal. It was meant to be, meant to be responded to. Uh, so let me just read for you a few verses. These are some of the, maybe the most well-known verses on grace from Ephesians chapter 2. I'll, I'll be reading verses 8 through 10. 
It says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And here's where it gets good. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, God expects that having received his grace, we would respond. He's, He's given us all these good things to do, and he expects us to get to work. Now, again, you might be saying to yourself, well, that's not a gift if, if God expects something. Yes, it is. He, he, he holds no, uh, he puts no boundaries in front of us. He just gives the gift. And then, yes, he expects us to respond. Here's how I think of it. Uh, as kids, our parents welcomed us into their home. They didn't expect us to do anything, right? They didn't say, well, you got to prove it first, and, and then we'll give you food and shelter and clothing, right? No, they just poured it out. But having poured out all that grace, they did set certain expectations, right? You got to clean your room. And it's not as though if we didn't clean our room one day, we'd be kicked out, right? It's just that their grace, that gift of a home, clothing, clothes, food, right? It it came with expectations. We were meant to respond. And I think the same is true of God. As his children, he pours out grace upon grace upon grace. And we, his children, are meant to respond with with good works of love and charity and kindness and mercy towards outsiders. We are to give him honor and thanks and praise. And that's because, to get to our last point, God has brought us into a relationship. And that's how relationships work. It's a back and forth. It's a a two-way street. But let us never forget it begins with God. In his unconditional love, he chose us. And and there's nothing we have to do for it, right? Again, I think this is what the the New Testament highlights above all. And it's what made Christianity in some ways seem crazy to the outside world. Because Seneca had written all these rules on on who is worthy of a gift. And, And God says, my gift is for all. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Who's a part of that world? Sinners, broken people, messed up people, ungrateful people. And yet God came to give us all his grace. It's an unconditional gift. And yet one we respond to, a gift given within a relationship, a relationship with our creator. See, the most beautiful thing of of all about God's grace is that it it finds its completion, its embodiment, its fulfillment in Jesus. If you want to know what the grace of God looks like, only look to Christ. This is what we hear in John chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. It says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the very embodiment of God's grace. By living that perfect life for us, by going to the cross and laying down his life, holding nothing back, the perfect holy lamb of God dying for the sins of the world. And then rising from the tomb, we see the grace of God. Dear friends, look no further. You know what grace is because you know Jesus. In his name, amen. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Deeply Rooted Podcast. I hope that you are blessed by our time together in the Word of God and pray that your roots went a little bit deeper. If you could do three things for me as we close our time together today, I would be blessed. 
First, if you could subscribe to this podcast, I would love that. That would be an easy way for you to listen to all future episodes and continue to get our updates. Second, if you could share what you heard today, I would really appreciate that. There should be an easy way to do that, to share this to your Facebook page, and I would be blessed by that. And then finally, if you could leave a review, I would love to hear what you think and, and how this episode went. So if you could share, subscribe, and leave us a review, I would be blessed. God bless you, everyone. And until next time, this is Peter Brower on the Deeply Rooted Podcast.